Good morning, everyone. My name is Kristen Parrish, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a member of your Board of Trustees, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. Much appreciation goes out to the many lay leaders and volunteers whose incredible efforts and dedication keep us all connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests joining worship this morning. We encourage you to fill out the visitors form in the lobby or online and connect with others in the virtual and or in-person social hour after the service so that we may meet and welcome you. Finally, for those attending worship in our sanctuary at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center this morning, please take a moment to silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. And now for a few announcements. First, a board minute from your board of trustees. We had a very full board meeting this past Tuesday. Here are a couple of highlights. We voted to support local legislation to increase Howard County's minimum wage and in favor of UUCC boycotting the Meriwether Lakehouse Hotel, which is refusing to hire back workers who were laid off when the pandemic started. The board also voted to ask the congregation to endorse Dr. Laura Solomon's ordination. Stay tuned, there will be more details coming soon. We also discussed the executive team's semi-annual ENDS report and potential updates to our board policies. For all the details, I encourage you to read the Good Governance blog coming later this week. Two, the Seasoned Souls group will gather this Thursday at 1 p.m. in our building. We have a meet and greet with Sarah Davidson, UUCC's Director of Communications and Member Integration, and focus our time together on discussing our community's communication needs and changes that are on the way. Join us. Three, thank you, thank you to all of our community who have participated in this week's auction. And we extend an extra special thank you to our auction team for all of their loving and hard work to bring the auction to our community. If you'd still like to participate, the online auction is open through 9 p.m. tonight. Please see the auction webpage to learn more. Next, we hope to see you at 4 p.m. today for our monthly Black Lives Matter vigil near the mall in Columbia. Join us to give public witness to the problem of anti-Black racism in our neighborhood, nation, and world, and to show that all lives will matter when Black lives matter. Please bring your own signs if you have them. And all are invited to join Reverend Page and UUCC members for next Saturday's 6 p.m. Transgender Day of Remembrance service. This reflective service will be hybrid. So you are welcome to attend either in person or in Sanctuary C, well, or either in person in Sanctuary C or via Zoom. Do you benefit from the UCC community? Do you identify with UUCC's outreach efforts? 
Have you ever wondered how all this is funded? Are you trying to find your place and contribution at UUCC? Continue, uh, consider, apologies, joining the pledge team. There are three ways you can get involved. As a co-chair, as a volunteer who makes calls, or as a volunteer who presents a testimonial to the congregation. Please connect with Jim Reiser to discuss how you can contribute. And now, a live announcement from our amazing religious education assistant, Kelly Daniker. Thanks, Kristen Parrish. Good morning. My name is Kelly Daniker. My pronouns are she and her, and I am your religious education assistant. Many of you may know that we have a bit of a tradition here at UCC where our children attend an annual tree decorating party. They make each ornament by hand, and then they decorate a tree that is shared with the entire congregation. Well, last year we missed this tradition. And so this year we are announcing our very first ever virtual tree decorating party. Let me show you what it will look like. When you come in, you will get your very own tree to decorate. And then the choice is yours. Perhaps you'd like some ornaments moved over. Perhaps you'd like a little glitter on one of your ornaments, maybe a present or two around the tree. The choice is entirely yours. And Ari families, you can be on the lookout for a packet from Robin and I, which will include some hot chocolate packets for you to enjoy during our tree decorating party. But this is truly an event for all ages. So we hope you'll come and join us, bring your favorite beverage, hot or cold, as we celebrate this old UUCC tradition in a new way. It will take place on November 28th, at noon, you can reach out to your Director of Religious Education, Robin Slaw, or myself, or check the link for more information. Hope to see you all there. Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. My name is Paige Getty. I use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and it is a great privilege and honor to serve as the minister of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia and to welcome all of you, whether you are here in person this morning or with us virtually. And I'm delighted today to share the pulpit and the chancel with my friend and colleague, Reverend Rob Hardys, who's our preacher today and who also will be leading our spiritual pilgrimage to Assisi, Italy next September. There are still a few spots left for that trip, so please let him or me know if you're interested in joining us, and Rob would be glad to talk with you about it today after the service. I'll introduce Rob a little more thoroughly later, but for now, welcome, Rob. It's really good to have you here with us. And welcome back, too, to our friend and our guest vocalist, Marianne Evangelista. It's great to have you with us in worship again, too. Just a few housekeeping notes. You can find the order of service online, either using the link that will be put in the chat or the QR code, and look at it on your own mobile device. Um, early in today's service, we're going to be honoring our community members' personal joys and sorrows, so please write yours in the book at the back of the sanctuary or email them to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. If you're a guest and haven't already filled out the visitor form, please do that so we can stay in touch with you beyond today. And lastly, if you're here in the sanctuary and need a hearing device, those are available to you from the tech team in the back of the sanctuary. 
A brief word of thanks to all of the staff and volunteers who help make worship happen every week. Greeters and ushers, both here in person and online. A tech team who really keeps us going. An incredibly dedicated staff team. Thank you all for making it possible. Now, will you take a deep breath and settle in and open your mind and heart and body to this worship experience? And I wonder if Lauren or Clara would like to come light the chalice. Would you like to do that? Thank you. We dedicate the flame in our chalice with these words from psychologist and teacher David Rico. What makes us human beings so uniquely wonderful in this puzzling universe is that we never give up on love. Against all odds, with no guarantee of being loved in return, out of the hate and hurt so often handed us, in the face of the sad suffering history has let us see, we go on loving. What deep respect we deserve for this capacity of ours to make love out of anything and to let it last. Embraced and called by the spirit of love, let us worship. And now will you join in raising your voices and your bodies or your spirits, if you will, and let's sing hymn number six, Just As Long As I Have Breath. Just as long as I have breath, I must answer yes. Yes to love this 
disappointment pierced me through. Still I kept on loving you. If they ask what I did last, tell them I said yes to Remain standing for just a moment as we join our voices again in speaking together our congregational covenant, including those of you who are with us remotely today. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now will you take a moment to greet one another? If you want to say hello to those on Zoom, turn and wave at the camera. You're getting ready to be unmuted there on Zoom if you want to say hello to each other. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good all right, I'll just stay. Good morning, everyone. We are so happy to see each other this morning. My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your Director of Religious Education, and I am really happy to be here with you this morning. So when I talked to Reverend Rob about today's service and he explained what it was all about, my mind went to family. And how do we keep our love with family members in spite of um, disappointment, in spite of betrayal. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up with four other siblings and there was a lot of disappointment and betrayal among our sibling group. Uh, but I still always knew that my brothers and my sister loved me and, they, and that I loved them. So I, I went to my daughters and I said, girls, how did you know I loved you? And they all answered by text because, you know, that's what young adults do. And I'm pretty sure there were a lot of metaphorical eye rolls when they answered me. They were like, Mom, because you tell us that all the time. Which is true, I admit. So I said, can't you share a story with me? Like, I need some stories about your childhood and how you knew I loved you even when, when I was angry at you. And they couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's a good thing they lost their memory about that, I don't know. But I remembered some stories about my childhood. Um, when we did something terribly wrong, we were told, 
you have to talk to your father when he gets home from work, and it scared us to death. I mean, I, I grew up very fortunate. There wasn't even spanking in my family, no physical abuse, no emotional abuse. We, I really had a very good childhood, but that's talking to your dad when he got home from work. He'd sit us down, we'd have to explain what we did, and then he would um, tell us how disappointed he was in us and the kind of behavior he expected from us. And there was a lot of tears during that entire talk. I think even from my brothers, although they denied it, we spied on them occasionally from behind the sofa, so I knew there were tears. I thought about um, one particularly egregious occasion my brothers were playing with matches in the downstairs powder room, and they lit a fire. My dad, obviously, was quite angry, and they got sent to sleep in the treehouse with no dinner so they would understand what it might be like if we lost our home because of them lighting fires in the home. That was the harshest the punishment ever got. And my grandmother happened to be visiting that weekend, and after my parents went out, my grandmother fixed two plates for my brothers and said, girls, take these out to your brothers. And we were like, wait, that's not fair. They're supposed to not have dinner tonight. And she said, well, I'm the grandmother, and I say they get to eat. So we took the dinners out to them. But this is what it's all about, right? We show love no matter how egregious the behavior is. So I went back to my girls again, and I said, come on, you guys, you must remember something that I did that you knew I loved you. And so they and I, together, we remembered that they loved when I sang lullabies to them. And they would actually, if it was a busy night and I had forgotten or didn't think we had time to sing, they'd come and find me and drag me back to the bedroom and say, you have to sing the lullabies. So I'm going to sing you a lullaby today. This lullaby... I didn't have it when I was growing up. I heard it, I think, in a movie, and I fell in love with it, so I looked it up and I found the words. I kind of made them my own, which is often what happens with folk music. And I looked up the origins of this particular song just to be curious about where did it come from. We don't really know. There are two theories. One is that it came out of slavery in the South, and that slaves sung it either to their own children or more likely to their white charges because they didn't get to see their own children. And the other is that it was a very popular lullaby in the Appalachians. And so the, the music, the Appalachian people said, came from Europe. They brought the tune with them. So we don't know for sure. It's all oral tradition, and we may never know where it actually came from. And I, when I started to sing it to them, I was a little hesitant at first because I thought, oh, there's an awful lot of consumerism and capitalism in here, and I'm not sure I want to sing this, even though the song is pretty. But then I realized it's really a good example of how a mother's love keeps trying, even when things don't work out. So here it is. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Mama's gonna sing you a lullaby. If that lullaby ain't heard, 
Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. If that mockingbird won't sing, Mama's gonna buy you a diamond ring. If that diamond ring turns brass, Mama's gonna buy you a looking glass. If that looking glass gets broke, Mama's gonna buy you a billy goat. If that billy goat won't pull, Mama's gonna buy you a wagon and bull. If that wagon and bull turn over, Mama's gonna buy you a doggy named Rover. If that dog named Rover won't bark, Mama's gonna buy you a pony and cart. If that pony and cart fall down, you'll still be the sweetest little baby in town. So I wonder, how are you showing your love in spite of betrayal and disappointment to your beloveds? Thank you. Thank you, Robin. During worship each week, we not only give voice to personal joys and sorrows within our community, but we also drop individual stones into a communal bowl of water to represent the way that each life and each story ripples out and touches all of us and is held in our collective embrace. I invite you at home to participate in this ritual with us today. And kids who are here, I invite you to stay with us for the sharing of joys and sorrows and then join Miss Robin and Miss Kelly at the back of the sanctuary during the music meditation. And during the music meditation following the prayer, anyone in the sanctuary, including kids, is welcome to come forward in silence and place a stone in the communal water. So these are today's sorrows and joys. And Robin, one last stone 
for all that we are holding unspoken among us now. Thank you. I invite you now into a time of reflection and prayer. Great and holy spirit of life, of love, that which encourages and strengthens us, which holds us in the times that are difficult, that celebrates us and shares our joy. That spirit whose embrace we feel. May we know it, may we be it, as we hold the worries and the sorrows and the grief that have been shared among us and as we bring courage and hope and love to one another and to this world. Now let us share a moment of quiet stillness for each of us to know the prayers that we are holding within us and among us. Amen. Blessed be. Good morning. 
When I first was aware that one of the reasons for Rob's visit to our pulpit this morning was to promote the wonderful upcoming uh, Italian pilgrimage trip that he and Paige are heading, I immediately thought of possible music that I wanted to share and include for the service. While our theme is now a slightly different call to love, the music still fits, so I thought we'd keep it. The one collection of music of which I'm aware that expressly includes the word pilgrimage in the title is a collection of pieces by the virtuoso pianist composer Franz Liszt. Liszt wrote three volumes of important keyboard works titled Année de Pèlerinage, or Years of Pilgrimage, which were inspired by his travels to various European countries, specifically Switzerland and Italy. For the offertory, I'll play a short excerpt from the Italy collection titled Spozzalizio, which means wedding or marriage, and was inspired by Liszt's viewing of the famous Raphael painting, The Marriage of the Virgin. Many know of Liszt's early days as a virtuoso pianist, a piano version of the violinist Paganini of sorts, creating show and spectacle whenever and wherever he traveled and performed. But many may be unaware of Liszt's later years when he basically withdrew from the concert stage and undertook serious study of theology, becoming an almost hermit-like character with an ascetic devotion to religion and spirituality, devoting his time and energy both as a pedagogue and to important philanthropic and political causes, musically experimenting with a more lean and sparsely textured type of music that foreshadowed Impressionism and influenced other 20th century techniques. He was a giant in the world of music. It's a pleasure to welcome back Marianne this morning to our sanctuary. It's such a delight to have a live, in-person, performing voice other than my own in worship. Thank you, Marianne. Again, the choice of piece was selected specifically because of the text's prayer, which is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'm frequently surprised when I go to research pieces that we plan for music at UUCC. Sometimes pleasantly surprised at what I find and sometimes totally dumbfounded with mouth agog at some inaccuracy I always assumed concerning the origins of a piece of music or a poem. So, according to the scholars, the famous prayer of St. Francis was likely not written by St. Francis, as it turns out. Don't tell the Catholics. <laughs> Apparently, the prayer in its present form has not been traced back to anything earlier than 1912, first appearing in a small French spiritual magazine called La Clochette, or The Little Bell. Heavily publicized during both world wars, the prayer was frequently read and often set to music based on its diverse message and appeal to people of all faiths, encouraging service to others, even if its ultimate religious message is about salvation. The vocal arrangement this morning by Olive Dungan, somewhat selfishly, is a piece from my Baptist youth. Its challenging message aptly complements this morning's theme on love. While many of you may know the text of this prayer, and it's in English, understanding words through a singing mask can be challenging. And since it's relatively short, I'd like to offer the words in the translation that Marianne will be singing. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace, where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Here the text reads, O divine master, I think we'll alter that to spirit this morning. O divine spirit, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console 
to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, for it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you. And before you get to hear that special piece that Michael has selected, we, um, today is the second Sunday of the month, and as is our custom in this congregation, we collect an outreach offering on the second Sunday of the month. Today, that offering is going to the Unitarian Universalist Legislative Ministry and Unitarian Universalists for Social Justice. And Steve Buckingham is going to tell you about the good work that those two organizations do. And then I encourage you to be very generous as you hear Michael's musical offering. Good morning. The second Sunday outreach offering collected during UUCC services today will benefit two groups that play a vital role in furthering UU advocacy for justice, one at the national level and one at the state level. I'm Steve Buckingham, and I consider myself fortunate to have been a founder of both organizations, and I currently serve as the chair of UULMMD, the state advocacy group. Founded in 2000, the mission of Unitarian Universals for Social Justice or UUSJ, is to mobilize and amplify the voice of Unitarian Universalists, seeking to change the world through acts of love and justice. USJ Capitol Hill Advisory Corps volunteers visit members of Congress and their staff at least monthly to discuss critical issues, and UUSJ Action Alerts provide direction for action on those issues. UUSJ's priority issues are defending our democracy, economic justice, environmental and climate justice, and immigration reform. UUSJ has also been involved in important UU and interfaith international gatherings in Washington and has hosted UUs from around the country as they visit our nation's capital to advocate for their values. While the group started as a coalition of capital area UU congregations, it has become more national in membership and scope. And this year, many of the leaders from the D.C. area chose to step back and support new members from around the country, giving it a truly national orientation. UUSJ is now the only UU organization dedicated to voicing UU values in Washington. It is working with UU state action networks around the country to amplify the pressure on their senators and representatives to support important federal legislation. UUSJ is in the forefront of rallies and actions of witness to raise awareness and support for our shared values. Now, founded in 2005, the Unitarian Universalist Legislative Ministry of Maryland, UULM, is one of the oldest of the 23 state action networks across the country that focus on influencing state legislation and regulations. As the voice of UU Values in Annapolis, we promote important measures to deal with a variety of issues. Our members work on issue advocacy teams, coordinating with other advocacy groups, and coordinating with activities in UU congregations to participate in rallies and other witness events, write and deliver testimony, and personally contact their lawmakers. This personal advocacy is an instrumental in our record of success in moving our state towards becoming a more just, compassionate, and sustainable community. Earlier this year, we were part of the successful efforts to override the vetoes of important bills from 2020, including funding for the Prescription Drug Affordability Board, background checks for rifles and shotguns, 
funding for the Kerwin Commission education reforms, and establishment of the first pre-release unit for incarcerated women. Then, we helped enact eight criminal justice measures, including some of the toughest police accountability measures in the country. Five climate change bills, four healthcare bills, two immigration measures, and the bill to finally repeal Maryland's pro-Confederate state song. As usual, the governor did veto four of our priority bills passed in 2021, two immigration bills, one climate change bill, and one criminal justice measure. Because the General Assembly will be reconvening on December 6th for a special session to adopt new legislative and congressional districts, it's the only opportunity we will have to bring these vetoes up for override. We are asking you use to contact their lawmakers now to support these overrides. Both of these groups deeply appreciate and rely on your continued support by in moving our state and the nation towards becoming a just, compassionate, and sustainable community. Your contributions of time, effort, and resources are needed in this critical time of challenge and opportunity. Thank you.
Our guest preacher this morning is Reverend Dr. Robert M. Hardee's. Rob currently serves as consulting minister for the Unitarian Universalist Society of Martha's Vineyard, but from 2001 to 2020, he was senior minister of All Souls Church Unitarian in Washington, D.C., where he and his family still reside. Rob was one of the first colleagues to welcome me to this area when I began serving UUCC in 2003. He and I have been in a clergy peer group together for the past 18 years. I know Rob to be a scholar, a pastor, a prophet. He's thoughtful. He loves to learn. He feels deeply. And he's passionate about the witness that Unitarian Universalism has for the world. He works hard, but Rob also enjoys life's pleasures with friends, good food and drink, with books and movies and art. It's a joy to know Rob and his husband, Chris, and their son, Nico, as friends, and it's a real privilege to call him a colleague. Rob, welcome, and thank you for being here with us today. Oh, that's better. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, Paige, thank you for that, that beautiful and personal uh, and heartfelt introduction. It's, thank you so much for that. Thank you for the invitation to be here. I also thank you all for having me. I want to say a word of gratitude as well to the wonderful staff here at UUCC who've supported me in preparing uh, for this service. Um, you've got a great team here uh, at this congregation. I know you're proud of them. Our reading this morning is a poem from this year's Nobel Laureate in Literature, Louise Glick. Um, it's from a collection of poems that are written in the voice of wildflowers emerging from the ground after a long winter. And for me, this poem, Snowdrops, captures a dimension of what it's been like to slowly emerge from this long season of pandemic. So this is Snowdrops by Louise Glick. Do you know what I was? How I lived? You know what despair is? Then winter should have meaning for you. I did not expect to survive earth suppressing me. I didn't expect to waken again, to feel in damp earth my body able to respond again, remembering after so long how to open again in the cold light of earliest spring. Afraid? Yes, but among you again, crying, yes, risk joy in the raw wind of the new world.
There is probably no Unitarian leader who has had a greater impact on our religious tradition or on American culture more broadly than the Unitarian minister and essayist, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson is our great philosopher of joy and, and hope. In fact, he once called himself a professor of the joyous science. Emerson's joyous science, his hope, was deeply shaped by his Unitarian faith, a faith that had swapped out Calvinism and its tragic sense of human fallenness for a theology of human agency and potential. But in 1842, Emerson's joyous science would be sorely tested. In January of that year, his darling five-year-old son, Waldo Jr., died of scarlet fever. Emerson was bereft. 
And on the very night of his son's death, he scrawled a letter to his dear friend, Margaret Fuller, wondering, quote, Shall I ever dare to love anything again? What a poignant and heartfelt question. Shall I ever dare to love anything again? It wasn't the first time that Emerson had asked that question. A decade before his son's death, Emerson's beloved first wife, Ellen, died of tuberculosis. After her death, Emerson walked to her grave every single day for a year. Even so, he couldn't quite accept that his wife was gone. He needed to see again for himself. So one day he had her grave exhumed so he could peer into the coffin one last time. Only then could he begin to entertain the, entertain the question, do I dare to love again? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Do I dare to love again? I know I have. I believe many of us have. We need only listen to the joys and sorrows that are shared every Sunday here in worship to be reminded of how the circumstances of our lives are always challenging us to summon the courage to love again. When a loved one dies, do I dare to love again? When a marriage or long-term relationship ends painfully, do I dare to love again? When someone we trust has betrayed or disappointed us, when an institution we believed in let us down, when a cause dear to our hearts seems perpetually doomed to fail, do I dare to believe again, to trust again, to hope again? Do I dare to love again? Our opening hymn this morning, Just As Long As I Have Breath, considers this very question. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite hymns in our hymnal. And I can never get through it without crying. And it's the last verse that always gets me. Just as long as I have breath, I must answer yes to life. Disappointment pierced me through. Still I kept on loving you. Disappointment pierced me through. Still I kept on loving you. That's, that's the line that gets my tears flowing. Tears of grief for the times when love's bitter disappointments have pierced my heart. 
For me, singing that line is a catharsis of sorts, a, a kind of ritual opportunity to mourn and to release love's disappointments. In the same way, perhaps, that, that Emerson's daily walks to his wife's grave were for him a form of mourning and letting go. Allowing ourselves to truly grieve love's disappointments and losses, this is a critical step in being able to dare to love again. We need to tend to our, our broken hearts before they're ready to love anew. But it's funny though, after years of, of singing that hymn, I've discovered that there's something else going on with my tears during that last verse, that while, yes, my tears are often mingled with grief and sorrow, sometimes I find myself crying tears of gratitude during that last verse, gratitude for my own capacity to love again in spite of disappointments. And even more, even more gratitude for the grace that has been extended to me when others have continued to love me, God bless them, even after I disappointed them, even when I'd hurt them. Disappointment pierced me through. Still, I kept on loving you. Imagine how lonely we'd all be if our love never survived disappointment and hurt. It's a precious kind of love, this, this love that survives loss. Hard won, resilient. It's something to be cherished. But I'll tell you, friends, over the course of my ministry, I have met those whose capacity for love didn't survive loss and disappointment. I've often found myself listening to these folks reflect back on their lives as they approached death. Their regret was palpable. It's not as though there was one dramatic moment when they swore off love forevermore. Instead, what they described to me was a gradual accumulation over time of layer upon layer of self-defense, self-protection. Now, to be sure, our impulse to protect our hearts when, when we're hurt is an understandable and often healthy reaction creating time and space for our hearts to heal. But when allowed to accumulate over time, our defenses can leave our hearts so well fortified, they can no longer be reached. I once saw a New Yorker cartoon that poked gentle fun at our often self-defeating attempts at self-protection. 
in the cartoon, a king dressed in his robe and crown reclines on the psychoanalyst's couch. And a thought bubble over his head shows the king imagining himself garrisoned in a well-fortified castle. In the caption below, the psychiatrist says to the king, enemies, yes, but doesn't your moat also keep out love? Poor king, <laughs> poor us. I think it's probably a good idea for us to periodically check in with ourselves and notice where our hearts feel defended or defensive and ask ourselves, even if these defenses once served us well, do they serve us still? In the end, I think Emerson's good friend, Henry David Thoreau, might have said it best. Thoreau once fell deeply in love with and courted a young woman named Ellen Sewell. But Sewell chose as her husband one of Thoreau's best friends instead. After this heartbreak, Thoreau considered this question do I dare to love again? And finally came to this conclusion in his journal. He wrote, the only remedy for love is to love more. The only remedy for love is to love more. Dare to love again. Friends, I felt moved to preach this sermon this morning because I believe that this moment that we're living through, this particular moment in the life cycle of the COVID pandemic, demands that we confront this very question, do, do I dare to love again? Let's face it, over the last year and a half, our ability to love in the ways that we once loved have been taken from us. Many of us weren't able to see our friends or hug our grandchildren or parents or grandparents. We weren't able to date. Meanwhile, the disappointments and losses piled up. Some of us lost loved ones. Some of us lost jobs. Some of us feel as though we've lost a precious year and a half of our life that we're not gonna be able to get back. And now, now that many of us are vaccinated, we find ourselves confronted with the task of, of slowly, carefully, in fits and starts, embracing again the people and the world that we've been told over and over again we couldn't embrace. So we can be forgiven if we're feeling a little bit like that wildflower in the poem that I read to you earlier, who almost couldn't believe that she was coming back to life after the long winter. Do you know what I was, she asks? How I lived? I didn't expect to survive earth suppressing me. I didn't expect to waken again 
to feel in damp earth my body able to respond again, remembering after so long how to open again in the cold light of earliest spring. Afraid? Yes. And who among us hasn't been afraid over this last year and a half? Afraid, yes, but among you again, crying, yes, risk joy in the raw wind of the new world. The poet's words invite us to dare to love again. But friends, our world this world that we're invited to return to and to love, it's been transformed over these last 18 months. Transformed by pandemic, transformed by intransigent racial injustice, by unprecedented attacks on our democracy, and by the existential threat of climate change. This is the world we're being invited to, to love again. A beautiful one, yes, but also a broken one. And you know, way back at the end of the 19th century, the philosopher William James spoke words that are more true today than when he first uttered them. He said, we live in a world that is uncertain of being saved. And then he asked, and this is the question that I'll leave you with this morning, and then he asked, are you willing to participate in such a world? Are you willing to risk loving a world whose salvation is uncertain. Friends, there are a thousand reasons to answer yes to that question. And now more than ever, we must find the courage and strength to love this beautiful and broken world. Now more than ever, we must dare to hope again, to trust again, to believe again, to dare to love again. May it be so. Amen. Friends, let us close now by joining together and rising as we are able in body or spirit to sing our closing hymn, There Is More Love Somewhere. May it, may it encourage us to find that strength to love more and better.
More hope, more peace, more joy, more love. All there for us if we only dare to love again. Friends, go forth now with that risk-taking love in your hearts. Go in peace. Amen. Benediction response, faith, hope, and love. The words are on the screen. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, and the greatest of these is love.
Time to move on.